This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to the channel and welcome back to another edition of the Spurs Chat Podcast. In this edition, we will be previewing the Tottenham Hotspur v Everton game, which of course takes place at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this Saturday, 3pm kickoff. Spurs are currently in fifth spot in the Premier League table. Everton are down in 16th, despite the 10-point deduction, which of course we will discuss in this episode. To preview this game with me, I'm joined by Mike from the uh, Unholy Trinity Everton Podcast. Mike, thanks for coming on. How are you? Not too bad at all, yeah. Not too bad. Signed off for the uh, for the Christmas period now, so we're a week or so off. Um, so, so looking forward to uh, to some festive football, that's for sure. Well, games coming thick and fast. Uh, Mike, first of all, how did uh, the podcast start? When did it start? How did you get involved? We're nearly five years in now. Um, so it was uh, where are we? It was February twenty nineteen when we first recorded. Uh, Everton had, had Marco Silva at the helm at that particular point, and we weren't going through a particularly good time then either. So it's a recurring theme since we started the podcast. To be honest with you, um, and it was just literally a chat between between the three of us, you know, three friends for, for many years having a conversation. And one said, "Why don't we just try and do do a podcast?" Because you see, you see a lot of lot of coverage for certain other teams more so than, than others um, and we yeah. thought maybe just, just give it a go and just just see how it goes and, and here we are five years later and and still doing a uh, recording at least once a week uh, normally a Sunday after the weekends the weekend matches and and it's just gone from from strength to strength and just got bigger and bigger in that time. Mike I feel your pain I tell you the amount of podcasts we've recorded on this channel under various different managers, various different situations, the highs, the lows. Of course, we cover it all on these fan channels. Um, first of all, Mike, I just wanted to uh, get your insight into how most fans are feeling right now. Uh, of course, in recent months and in recent years, we've seen protests at Goodison Park. Uh, sadly, your chairman, Bill Kenwright, sadly passed away. Uh, you've been deducted 10 points. You're building your new stadium at the moment. But, of course, the last four games, you've won the lot 
and you haven't conceded a goal. How are the Everton fans feeling right now? All, all, all pretty upbeat, to be fair. Obviously, a little bit of a blip in midweek in the in the Carabao Cup, a game that we we thought we, we we should be winning. And to be fair, on the balance of play, should have really won the game. At the chance to win it on penalties, as we, as I think everyone's probably seen the, the Onana miss, which was to to win the game for us. That's football. Listen, it's a lottery. It happens. For me, you know, you can't apportion any kind of blame to the player really. I know he looked a little bit sort of arrogant in the way that he that he approached the ball and he, and he took the penalty. But he's a young lad. He's a very very good player. It, he listen, he'll learn a lesson. It's as simple as that. But I think every single time we go to a cup competition, if it's down to an individual player mistake, should we say? After so many years without a trophy, obviously it's always heightened. But I think besides that, you know, we didn't didn't lose the game. We came back from one 0 down. Like you say, we've won the last four in the Premier League with no goals conceded as well. I think we won ten of the last the last fourteen um, or ten of the last fifteen. If you want to include Fulham, which uh, which we'll throw down as a draw, so we're in we're in very good form. You know, so the form was good prior to the deduction. The deduction, I think, is just probably galvanised the, the the side further and the fans. You know, you, you mentioned there the the fan protests that they're ongoing. We we took a, a night off against Fulham because it was a different competition. Um, but when it comes to, to the Premier League, it's very much a case if those protests will continue and and they will continue home and away. Um, you know, we we raise a, a lot of money for for these protests to actually happen, and and we're going to keep on going. But the fans, the fans are all united. You know, we we know it's a difficult game. At the weekend, of course, uh, but we've been through some some difficult games in in the last last four four weeks or so. So we'll we'll keep on keep on going together, and we, we'll be united, and, and we'll keep on supporting the team. And you know, we're, as you say, we're, we're in good form, and, and long may that continue. Mike, both clubs, both Spurs and Everton, have been through so many managers, uh, particularly in recent seasons. Um, Postecoglou is doing a great job at Spurs. We're all smiling again, and we're certainly going in the right direction. Is every fan at the moment behind Sean Dyche and, and the way that he plays? Is it is it the way that Everton want to play? I think what we're seeing now is probably how you would expect. I think many outsiders would probably expect Everton to play. You know, historically, if you, if you go back to, to David Moyes' time, um, don't get me wrong, Moyes had some some very very good technical players, but the, the first the first rule was was you work hard and you leave it all out on the pitch. And, and Sean Dyche always said. The minimum expectation is maximum effort. He always says that it's taken a bit of time to get there, but we've got to remember, you know, when he first came in, the the, the pressure was on from from game one against Arsenal, which we mm. won, but it went to the final game of the season uh, against Bournemouth. So it, there wasn't really much time or, or or many circumstances in which he could really, uh, you know, put his, his style of play onto things. We're seeing now, and you know, hopefully you, you see it at the weekend as well. Everton have got an effective style of football, an effective way to play. We'll say to you on Saturday, have the ball as much as you want. You know, you see quite often it'll be a 70-30% split and 30% obviously to, to Everton against most sides. Burnley was no different last weekend. I think it was 65-35 against the sides in the bottom three. But whatever an hour is, when, when they've, they go on the, uh, the counter-attack or we win a set-piece, we're very effective in, in what we do. They're our strengths and we play. We play that way. Every player playing for, for the share, playing for each other. There's a good team spirit there at the moment. You've got players you've had to come in over the last couple of games and done a really good job. The likes of Michael Keane and, and Ben Godfrey, Lewis Dobbin, obviously, has got a bit of a chance scored against Chelsea because we are we are a little bit light on numbers because of a few injuries across across the board. But I think the fans, the fans understand, you know, Sean Dyche isn't going to have you playing possession football on little tippy-tappy stuff and, and things like that. Sean Dyche is, plays a particular way, but 
it's not as simple as people make out. It, it, it is intricate in what he actually does. You know, we, we've gone from a back four to a back five, just like that because we've had injuries. The players adapted no problem at all. And and we we will play, we will play a slightly different way. But the overall, the overall consensus, I think, is that they are happy. We are happy as a fan base in terms of what the mind's just done. I think he deserves great credit because we should be in the top half of the table, challenging for those European places as we speak. We should be on 26 points. So that, that's incredible for, for a side. Yeah. You know that's not far off last season's point total already, which is yeah. which is seasonal really. So he's doing he's doing really well. We're all on board. He's very very straight talking manager. I think we need that. We need someone to be honest and, and, and be real about the situation. That's exactly what he is. Exactly what we need, and that the right man at the right time. Mike, let's talk about the ten point deduction. What is the latest at the moment? Because from what I understand, Everton Football Club have submitted an appeal. And also wanted to get your thoughts on the likes of Chelsea and Manchester City. What uh, charges you think they will be facing? Yeah, well, like you say, the, the appeal's gone in. Uh, I think it had to go in. Um, we had a two-week window after the after the initial results uh, came out from the independent panel. Um, so we were given two weeks to appeal, which we did. That's gone in. Um, what's baffling is that we had, had two weeks to get all our appeal points together and, and obviously put our case forward again. But then the Premier League and the independent panel get until sometime before the end of the season to actually hear the appeal. Now, I've heard it should be February slash March. No mm. good to anybody. If it, if it keeps on dragging on, it's no good to, to us. It's no good to sides who are down the bottom because, obviously, most sides who lose 10 points are going to be down the bottom fighting for, for the, the survival. We've proven that we can pull away with, with those 10 points taken off us already. We're already seven points clear. Um, but that's where we currently are. We've got to wait, uh, await this second independent panel, uh, independent panel to be appointed. It hasn't as of yet, from what from what I know, there's been no date set for the appeal. But February March is is is, is the time that we're looking at. Um, and, and you know, I think it's when we look at other sides. I think the basis of of our, our frustration as fans. I don't really think we can start going down the road of looking at Man City and Chelsea and, and other sides. You know, totally different situations. I think you know our, our frustration stems very much from we, we feel we've been used as a bit of a, a pawn in a political game because the, the Premier yeah. League showed that they can self-govern. Obviously, the independent uh, regulators are on the on the brink of coming in, um, and that, that's the major the major uh, being our bonus as well as you know the fact that we, we saw six sides potentially break up the, the Premier League and English football as we know it a, a couple of years ago. Obviously, the Super League's really it's ugly head again this morning. And they got a slap on their wrist, and 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 they devised their own their own punishment. So, you know, when we look at things like that, we feel it's a little bit over the top for a, a nineteen point five million pound breach over the course of three years. Uh, and and we argue it should be seven point nine million pounds. We're building a stadium as well. The goalposts are moved as in regards to, to stadium cost, uh, what we could claim, what we couldn't claim. So there's a lot of points that we feel have been ignored, including a, a war in in Ukraine. Uh, obviously, with with the the Russian invasion, which which overnight impacted our our, uh, our sponsorship by you know to the tune of twenty twenty five to thirty million pound, which is is incredible. Yeah. If that hadn't happened, then we wouldn't have been breaching. But they said that we should have allowed for these kind of things in our business plan, which just just seems incredible, really. So a lot of things which we're not happy about, which is why you've probably seen the the process that are that are so are so vocal. Uh, as I say, they're happening week in, week out. Uh, we, we make our feelings known as and when we can, and, and we're not going to go away because we just don't think that it's right. And we feel that, you know, it's the sooner that we can get this this independent regulator into the Premier League, the better for everybody. Because let's get it right. 
we shouldn't be in this situation. Our owners shouldn't be allowed to have got us into this situation as well. You know, it's not our fault. We, we don't run the club. Just, it's just our football club. And if we had some some proper regulation, then sides wouldn't be on the brink of of potentially administration and, and things like that. Do you feel quietly confident then, Mike, that Everton will get those points back? Not all of them. I mean, we'll get all 10. They're, they're certainly not. I think, I think you know, we, we might get some suspended, maybe sort of four or five. I think we, we'll get some of them back, with, you know, with the under the proviso that we don't do it again in, within so many years. There was a bit of talk mm. a couple of weeks ago that we were close again for the the the, pay, uh, the year, which has just gone in for 22-23. Um, but I think that that's now being sort of sort of wiped away and said that we're, we're going to be compliant for that particular year. Listen, We've been unable, unable to spend any kind of money. We've had to sell players, you know, players, important players. You can charge them being one example to yourselves, yeah. of course. Andy Gordon went to Newcastle for, for big money. Um, we've let players go on that are on big contracts. The deals that we did in the summer for the likes of Beto and, and Youssef Chimiti, there was literally, there was no down payment. There's no money due on those players until until this summer coming. So we literally spent €3 million Euros on Dan Juma's loan deal. And that was mm-hmm. it. That's all that we've done. So when you look at the money that we... We haven't spent in the last two or three years to still be close to not not complying is unbelievable really um so we we are in a situation where we've still got to very very much watch our finances and and i think that the january transfer window will be another example of ever and not doing very much at all to be honest as well mike let's talk about um your league season so far currently played 17 uh one eight drawn two lost seven uh, wins have come against Brentford, Bournemouth, West Ham, Crystal Palace, Forest, Newcastle, Chelsea and Burnley. The draws against Sheffield United and Brighton and defeats against Fulham, Aston Villa, Wolves, Arsenal, Luton, Liverpool, Manchester United. How would you describe your season so far? Are you are you pretty happy with what you've seen in terms of performances? Yeah, performance-wise, I think it's been very consistent. You know, those those early results at the start of the season, we always go back to, to the first few games, like so Fulham and Wolves at home. Everton were the, were the much better side in both those games. You know, we, mm. we had over 20, 20 uh, shots in each of those games. Literally, we just couldn't put the ball on the back of the net. We said when we get players back, like so Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for example, um, and we get a little bit of, of competition for places, then I think we'll be okay. Obviously, we started with like say Neil Mopey uh, and sometimes no striker, and it just didn't work. So when we when we got players back, we always thought that we'd hit a bit of a run. Sean Dice kept on saying, "Listen, we're playing all right. Don't, don't be fooled by the results." But the Evertonian in you, the, the pessimism that runs through you, what we've seen in recent years, you think it's is it ever going to click? Um, but it, you know it, it has, and, and we've seen it. You know the, the form that we've been in has been tremendous. You know, you, you look at we got turned over by Aston Villa at the early, early part of the season. We went there in, in a Carabao Cup a few weeks later and beat them two one. You know, and and both both sides made changes, but it shows you how this side is improving, is adapting. You know, good wins against against Newcastle. Of course, we've gone away, like you say, to Forest. Good win. Palace away is never never easy. Went there, got got a good win. Brentford away, got got a good win. Our away form, I think, was second only to yourselves in terms of away points. Away points won. So it shows you what what the manager's done. For, you know, for a side that historically in recent years can't win away from home, we've done it regularly under under Sean Dice this season. It shows you how how much this side have, have improved. So I think the consistency is certainly there. And and I think going to Spurs maybe in the last couple of years, I mean we've, we've gone there with with Lampard and being turned over. 
you know, we remember that one when he played Radio Gay in the Open and we, we, we got absolutely annihilated. So we've gone there in recent times and, and, and lost and lost heavily a couple of times. But we shouldn't be going there, I don't think, sort of with any kind of uh, trepidation. We're in really, really good form. As we said, won the last four away from home. We're a good away away uh, away from home side. Um, so we should be looking forward to it. I think the only thing which is going to really play into things is the fact that we are a little bit stretched when it comes to bodies. And the players looked a little bit tired late on against Fulham on, uh, on Tuesday. You've had that rest, obviously, playing last weekend and then not being in the cup competition this week. So you've had you've had a full sort of seven days or so to, to, to get over your, your weekend exploits. So it's going to be it's going to be a tricky game. But I think all in all, as a fan base, we're, we're, we're massively pleased and and, and we, we think that Sean Dice should, should be getting a, a lot more credit than he actually does because those, those league placings are false as far as we're concerned and we should be right in that top half and, and looking above, not looking down. I'll tell you what though, Mike, we do still have injuries to key players such as James Madison and Mickey van der Ven. We miss them too a lot, uh, as well as others. But um, Sean Dyche had his press conference Thursday afternoon and confirmed that Mikalenko is due back, Coleman is touch and go, the Corey not for this one, and Young is making progress, but he doesn't think he's going to make this game. Um, just talking about the, um, I know you're, you said you were pleased with the performances so far this season, but you know the form in December, four wins out of four, as we've both already mentioned, what has changed? What has changed in these last four games to go on a, a winning run like that? Because I don't mean this with any disrespect whatsoever, because I've got a real soft spot for Everton. Um, you know, that that's not normal, is it, for, for, for Everton in recent seasons, winning four on the bounce? Not at all, no. I mean, the, the last time we won four on the spin without conceding was, was 2002, November 2002. So yeah. it shows you how, you know, how, how good an achievement it, it actually is and how unusual it is to see Everton not only winning, but but not conceding as well. And to be fair, in my opinion, not looking like getting beat. You know, in, in all those games, I think we, we we were on top in all of them. We deserve to win all of them, um, and it, it's been it's been great to see. Um, but I think I just think that the players from the noises from within inside the club. Every time you hear players speak publicly, uh, and you, you hear things sort of on the grapevine as well, I think all the players get on. All, all the players believe in what the mind is trying to do, and and they respect what he's doing. Uh, in the circumstances that, that the club finds themselves in. I do mm. think that, you know, that the last four games have, have certainly, you know, we, we played we played what um, Man United and then we lost by three goals. You know, in a good performance, by the way, it wasn't a 3-0 game. Ever, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime goal from, from Garnacho and, and yeah. a dodgy penalty that was given via VAR, which really changed the game. But I think since the decision came out that we lost at 10 points, I think it's just spurred them on even more, and and they've become galvanised as a unit. Um, there's no there's no real egos at Everton anymore. You know, we, we look at years gone by, and you look at at the, at the players that we've had. There's always been at least sort of one or two who are a little bit of a of an ego. I think they're all on a level. They all understand how important it is. It's, it's a fight for for the club and keep the club in the Premier League. I think you know all eyes are on Bramley Moore as well in terms of the stadiums on the horizon. I think a lot of the players want to be there for when when we move in and we need to be a Premier League side for them to be there. But I just think it's it's just it's just massive credit to the manager and his coaching staff because he, he's his messages are pretty clear, um, easy to understand. I think the players feel a real sense of, of belonging and, and respect between themselves and the manager. Um, and as I say, he's very, very plain, plain talking. You know, what, what you see is what you get with Sean Dice. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says exactly how it is. 
Uh, and, and the players, I think, just they all say how, how, how clear he is in his message. And I just think that all the work that's been put on over pre-season, all those early season performances that we just weren't quite getting over the line, you know, picking up wins here and there, it's just clicked and we're now getting what we deserve. Um, so we're, we're obviously delighted to see that. And it's, it's nice for us to, to be able to enjoy the on-field stuff as opposed to be to be sitting at home every weekend and, and mulling over financial situations and, and all all those kind of talk because as football fans, all we should care about is what happens on the pitch on a, on a Saturday or Sunday. That's, that, that's what it's all about. That's what we've got into football for, not for what's happening on spreadsheets and you know with 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 banks and with owners and with backers and things like that. That's not football for us. So fair play to Sean Dice for, for getting the players playing. And fair play to the players, by the way, for, for going out onto, onto the pitch and, and putting his plan to action. When you think of what Sean Dyche done with Burnley and now what he's doing with Everton, um, it's funny because there's a comment in the comments section now, and this is exactly the question I was going to ask. King Hoddle um, says uh, Sean Dyche is a decent manager, probably underrated. Is that fair to say that, Mike? Underrated manager in the Premier League? I think so. I think that, you know, the fact that he's known for managing Burnley, he was always known at being at a club that were, you know, punching above the weight, really. Yeah. But, you know, I, I remember when he was there, and I remember speaking to somebody who was, who was involved in in sort of transfers and, and recruitments and things like that. And and Burnley's, Burnley's plan was always to buy British players, basically. That was that was what they used to do. So they, they weren't a particularly exotic side, if you like. They, they weren't a side that were going to come out there and, and play sort of flamboyant football. And I think what... what you know, the, the issue with that is for some people, they just see that as basically, well, Sean Dyche is a 4-4-2 manager. You know, he's a typical British manager, buys uh, British players, doesn't look for any kind of flair. Um, what You know, what you see is what you get. Um, it's very, very sort of basic and, and straightforward. And and to a point it is. But I think that, as I said, you know, Sean Dyche, we've changed things from a back four to a back five, literally overnight because we've lost players to injury. The players are bought into it. They, they knew, they've known, uh, known the job. At times when we've had to have possession of the ball, we've been able to do it. But we're saying look much better out of possession. You know, we, we everyone knows knows what they should be doing, and we look like, like a real solid unit. But I think he is underrated just because of the fact that he had a, a particular blueprint at Burnley. Everyone thought it was quite basic, uh, but everyone forgets what he did. You know, he, he qualified for Europe for the first time. You know, it, it was for Burnley to do that, a club of that particular size, who mm. come off from the Championship, he was, he was there for eight seasons. And to be fair, if they would have kept him there that season that they went down, I think they would have survived. You know, they brought in Michael Jackson, um, and, you know, as, as all clubs do. It was always a knee-jerk when you're in, in that, that kind of situation. But Sean Dyche has been there, done that. And it showed last season for us that he was the perfect man for the situation. You know, the, the fact that we did survive, after when he came in, we were clear, you know, we were comfortably in the bottom three. Some of those wins that he got, you know, Brighton away, five goals to one. Who, who saw that coming? You know, who would have thought Everton would have gone to Brighton and, and been so clinical and, and absolutely destroyed them? You know, not many people say he beat Arsenal, he beat Leeds, Bournemouth last game of the season. He deserves immense credit and, and I think he's underrated. And I said it at the time, I think that we got him at the right time because after us, both Leicester and Leeds let the mind you go. And the first name on the top of the list would have been Sean Dice. Yeah, yeah. Mike, you mentioned the new stadium. It's expected that Everton will move from Goodison Park to Bramley Moor Dock um, at the start of the 2025-2026 season. How excited are you for the stadium move? Because I remember Spurs moving from White Hart Lane. Of course, we went to Wembley and then we come back to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium sometime later. 
it's very different. But Spurs did a fantastic job with our new stadium. And, and I love the fact that it's on the new site. Of course, it is a completely different site. I've been to Bramley Moor Dock a couple of times uh, during the build. It's looking incredible. Um, how are you feeling ahead of it? Massively excited, like you say. You know, it, it's, a, it's a massive wrench to, to leave Goodison Park, of course. You know, it's all we've, we've ever known. You know, you know yourself. With, with White Hart Lane, um, like you say, a bit different because you went to Wembley for a little bit and then came back because you were, you were on the same site pretty much. bit different for us. So, we, we, you know, we're going to be at Goodison Park right up until the move. Uh, we thought we might have got half a season in there next season at Bramley Moor, but they've elected not to do it that way. Um, yeah. A bit strange financially when, when you need money as a club not to go because it's, it's worth about, I think, uh, seven or eight times more money on a match day. Um, so it's it's, an, it's a massive uplift in terms of revenue, but Goodison Park will get the the correct send off that, that it deserves. Um, a full season there, we know exactly where we are with our with our countdown to, to the final game of the season at Goodison. Um, it's, but it's 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 a massive wrench to leave. That that that's the biggest thing. But we've got to move with the times. There's no way we could have renovated Goodison Park and and made it any bigger. You know, you've probably been there yourself. It's massively tight to, to a lot of the houses around it. The only real space is, is is the park end, which is behind one of the goals. And even then, you can't do a great deal. You know, it's it's one of those grounds that unfortunately now are few and far between. You know, you, you look at the at the, the three tiered main stand, you look at the pillars, they're getting they getting your way every time you you know, you, you look on our pillars all the time to try and to try and see the pitch. Some wooden seats in certain parts of the ground. It you know, in his day, the best ground in, in the country now, unfortunately, it's it, it is looking its age, but what a fantastic ground it's been! But Bramley Moor is just another level. It's just just incredible. I mean, and, and what they what they've done particularly well is it's going to be very very tight. Like Goodison Park is, you're on top of the pitch, exactly yeah. the same. Bramley Moor, not, not, none of this. You know, you look look at West Ham's Athletic Stadium and, and how far you are from from the pitch. None of that. You're on top of the pitch, which is going to obviously make a good atmosphere. Of course, we, we've got the the steep south uh, south stand like your like your home and not quite as big but but similar kind of similar kind of design there um so that's going to be very very imposing um it's just going to be going to be a sensational stadium obviously on the banks of the Mersey as well you know what what, what a setting that is, is as you as you come in as you come into the Mersey and you see you know you've got that we, we, we call it the fourth grace you know so it's going to be the fourth grace on the waterfront of of, of Liverpool city center um and it's just going to be, you know, it's it's a it's a fantastic nod to Goodison Park as well in terms of the design with with the leech uh, design within the brickwork and things like that. They've used obviously the red brick. It's not your typical new stadium, is it? It's there's nothing like it in in the Premier League. I'd argue in Europe as well. You don't see anything like like Bramley Moor. Um, so yeah, it's massively exciting. We can't wait to get in there, of course. But then, as I say, to, to leave the only place you've known since you you've known football since you've been going the game. It's it's massively heart wrenching, but it will get a fantastic, a fantastic, hopefully last last season at Goodison Park, and, and hopefully we can get it, give it the send off that it, it deserves as well. Yeah, I tell you what, Mike, I, I'd love it if Spurs played there on the last game at Goodison Park, and I'd love it if Spurs played there for the first game at the new stadium. That would be incredible. But I've really enjoyed Goodison Park every single time I've gone, and I, and I must say, not just because you're on this stream, but. Uh, the staff members and everyone at Everton are extremely friendly. Uh, I did a tour there a couple of months ago and, um, you know, walking out the tunnel, that is so tight. I can't believe that two teams actually get down that tunnel to walk, walk out, but it is going to be great. But um, I also tell you as well that um, some time ago um, in the last year, 
um, I did a tour at Liverpool and they get all the fans to go to a viewing point and say, this is our garden shed and look over at Everton, which I, I thought was very disrespectful, but he thought it was funny saying that. Um, I think, they, I think they forget, you know, they do forget that Anfield was our, was our original home, by the way. And we do refer to them as the afterbirth, don't we? So, you know, it's one of those, it's all, it's all tongue in cheek. There's, there's no love lost between, between the two, of course. But listen, of course. if it wasn't for us and having a little bit of a fallout, they wouldn't exist. So let's, let's, not, let's not forget that either. Yeah. Yeah, they talk a lot about that in the uh, the history and uh, and the tour at Everton. So I would really recommend that to any any football fans, actually, not just Everton fans. But um, Mike, let's talk about Premier League history because um, heads ahead in Premier League history since the Premier League started in '92, played '62, Spurs have won 29, Everton have only won nine. Uh, 24 games have finished with a draw. You've won five games at Goodison, four at Tottenham. Um, I wanted to ask your favourite memories of this fixture. Well, the, the semi-final FA Cup 95 is one, obviously neutral, a um, little bit distance. The only goal we conceded in the FA Cup run that season as well, by the way, uh, in, in that win. Um, in the league, I went, I went to the first, our first game at the, at the top of our space stadium, the 2 all last game of the season. Um, so I remember, that, I think it was uh, Theo Walcott and Shen Tossum who scored for Everton on the day. Um, so I, that was that, that's a real memory because uh, I, I really enjoyed the pies as well. I, I think that those <laughs> are the favourite pie in the Premier League, I think. I think there was a lovely, lovely array of pies on offer. Um, but I think, I think in terms of Premier League terms, I think that the one behind closed doors where, where Calvert Lewin under Carlo Ancelotti, I think it was the first game of the season, wasn't it? Uh, great, great header from, from Dom. Um, to, to get us the three points in what was it, you know, I, 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 you know, the hallmarks of a fantastic season. You know, Hammers Rodriguez had, had obviously arrived, and Alan and Decore, obviously Calvert Lewin, the Charleston. That that was a side that we thought under Carlo Ancelotti was was going to go places, and, and unfortunately we tailed off. But that's a game that really sticks out because we we saw Everton, or we thought we saw Everton really, really move, moving forward under a world class manager and, and a side that was that was not only full of grit and determination, but obviously had, had some real technical ability as well in the likes of Hammers and, and players like that. So that, that was that's one that really that really sticks out for me. Um but it's a place, you know, the the stats show it, you know, it's it's always a difficult game for Everton, whether it's home or away, for whatever yeah. reason. It's funny that you know it's that certain sides when you when you face them. You, that you struggle against them regardless of, of maybe the form that they're in or whether they're going through a good time or a bad time. So it's never been really an enjoyable place for us to actually to actually go and play football. Mike, how are you feeling ahead of this game on Saturday and what have you made of Tottenham this season? Well, I mean, obviously Tottenham started like a like a house on fire. Um, you know, Postacolli has come in. You know better than me, playing a, a different brand of football than what you've seen in recent times at Spurs. Um, the high line got a, a lot of uh, a lot of coverage, especially after that Chelsea defeat, uh, which was it, it was it was strange to see for us. Uh, thing Everton's uh, back four don't go, doesn't go past the halfway line, full stop, all game. Um, so yeah, that was that was di- that was different. But obviously, you had a little bit of a wobble, recovered somewhat now. I'd say, uh, like you say, you are missing a couple of key players, and and obviously Basuma and and, and Doggy are out on the weekend as well yeah. through suspension. Yeah. So two, you know, two real key players sit to that side as well. But you know, great, great credit, uh, credit to Spurs. What are you? One point outside the top four. Um, real chance if you can keep up, you know, some some level of of, of form. That you can get into that top four again. I think having no European football is probably helping Spurs massively. To be honest with you, you know, again, you know better than myself. But sometimes, when you haven't got a, a massive squad, 
it hinders more than it helps as much as you, you know, it's great to be in Europe, European football, Champions League especially. Um, but it, it can be difficult playing, you know, Wednesday, uh, Saturday or Thursday, Sunday, um, every, every other week. And it, it can be hard unless you've got the, the riches that the, you, your Man City and Liverpool have got and uh, the, the use of competing on, on, on so many fronts. But I think, you know, as I say, Spurs are going to be in and around those, those Champions League spots, I would say. Um, I think that the, the manager's got a good balance there. He's got some some real quality there. Some good young players. Um, great to see Richardson. It's a bit of form. We, we all we all love him. We we know we had to sell him and why we had to sell him. Uh, I think if he got his way, it'd still be at Everton. I think he he wanted to stay there, but we had to do something because of our financial situation. So when 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 we see him when we see him score, it's probably the only player who's left the club in recent years that, that we really wish well. Um, obviously not at the weekend, but. It's great. It's great to see him score because we know what he's all about. You know, we know how good Richardson is. We know his attitude is spot on, and I think that when you see the criticism that he's got over over so-called pundits, I think it's it's, it's really unfair. You know, he's been he's been through a tough time as well, physically, I think, and mentally. Um, but he's a he's a real he's a real talent. He's a real threat, and and at the weekend, you know, between him, between Son, Kulusevski, you know, those kind of players. Everton's back fourth. I've got to be on the game, otherwise, you know, we will ship sort of two or three goals quite quite quickly. Um, so yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a an interesting game. But we feel, you know, we, we've got to be confident. You know, we've got to be confident in what in what we can do because we we've we performed well over the last probably ten weeks or so. So we, we've got to we've got to be thinking we can go there and get something from the game. I think, like I said, we are we are a little bit stretched because of our injuries. Um, Mikhalenko coming back in is is fantastic. He's been he's been terrific over the last sort of six seven weeks or so. He's really really come on. You know when he first came from from uh, Ukraine, he struggled, but he's been through a lot since he's been here. So him coming back in probably means we go back to a back four. I would think if he's fit uh, with Jared Brandsbury and Tarkovsky, the, the the two centre halves, and and probably Nathan Patterson keeps his place at, at right back as well. But we're we're confident we can go there. And get something. That's for sure. We're not playing the space that you know we're flying at the start of the season, but we are playing a space side that have turned the corner again and and are, and are really dangerous. And like I say, are looking up and looking, looking to get to get back in that Champions League. Mike, you speak so highly of Richarlison. Um, of course, he has struggled at Spurs. It's fair to say, and he has hit form these last couple of games. And hopefully, we're going to see that. Uh, you know, from now until the end of the season. And of course, there has been many reports stating that Saudi clubs may may be interested in signing him perhaps in the summer. Uh, so that'd be an interesting situation. But I wanted to ask you what you think his best position is, because, of course, he's played out on the left. Postacoglu came in. He played him through the middle. Hunmin Son then had a turn going through the middle. He's now back out on the left. Richarlison's back in the middle. What's, what is Richarlison's best position, in your opinion? I think he, he always likes to say that he's better centrally. He's, he's always said that, I think, uh, because when he goes away with Brazil, you, you see him play as, as a central striker, really. Um, so we would always argue that that's his best position. I'd say we, we probably saw the best of him off the left, you know, cutting inside on his on his right foot. And he played quite often. When he, when he had his best time at Everton, it was him and Dominic Calvert-Lewin as a two almost, but he, he'd play a little bit deeper. Uh, but he would quite often just float to the left hand side, and as I say, just cutting on on that on that right foot. So I would say that I think, and you know, no one can argue, he, he's he's a goal scorer. He, he's great in the air for a fellow of his size. You know, he scored, we scored a header against Forest, didn't he? Um, but he, he's great in the air, and I think wherever you play him, 
he will score goals. I just think that he, he's just taking that, that little bit of time to adjust to, to life at Spurs and and going away from you know he's only ever known Everton in this country, you know, and, and he was massively settled in 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 Crosby, which is you know we're not too far from from the beach where you know where where Carlo Ancelotti used to live as well. He was massively settled there with all his family. He was known in the area, you know, he was really friendly. You know, he was just he was a he was a cult hero to, to Everton fans. And I think when you go from that to then going to another big side and, and a side who's you know you playing European football, um, it can be a bit of a challenge. But the, the talent is there. What is he now? 25, 24, 25, Richardson. So plenty of years ahead of him. He's nowhere near his peak, that that's for sure. Um, but I think you know wherever you play him, what what you do get is, is you get somebody who, who will give absolutely everything, you know, and and opposition fans will always say, oh, he's always a moaner. He's just that. He's this or that. He just wants to win. He just wants to win, you know. And, and he wants to score. He wants to contribute. Um, and that's not a bad attribute to have as a player like that, who who is is a real winner, uh, and will leave everything on the pitch. And it sounds really simple to say that, but how many players are accused of not not playing to the full potential and and certainly not giving it all every single time they, they cross the white line? But for him. His attitude can never ever be questioned, um, and and I think he'll go on to, to to do to do really well. I can't see him going to Saudi. I just think that he would, for him, he's got ambition, you know, and he's he's a young player. He certainly doesn't doesn't need the money. Um, he'll he'll want to win things in this country. So I don't think he'd be he'd be looking to go to to Saudi. I think when when any any player goes through a bit of a bad time, it's an easy link now, isn't it? The fact that you know they're a Premier League player. Does a side in Saudi want them? For me, not not really. He, he's he's a he's full of ambition, and and he, he'll do good things at, at Spurs. That's for sure. Picture the scene: all of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Yeah, I agree. Uh, play, players in their mid 20s shouldn't be going over to Saudi. They should be living their careers, first of all. Uh, perhaps going over there uh, at the end of their career, you know, I think that's more understandable. Um, Mike, who's been your standout players? Um, this season, who, who do who do us fans need to look out for? Well, I mean, the Corey was the one, wasn't he? But he's injured, uh, which is a bit of a blow to us. Obviously, missed a game in in, in midweek, and he's going to miss the game at the weekend. And he only played forty five against Burnley, so he's he's been terrific since Sean Dice came in. You know, he's always got a goal on him uh, after you know I think he scored four in about sixty nine games. He, he then scored eleven and thirty one, so he, he's really turned turned things around in terms of his goal scoring form. Um, in terms of other players, Jared Branthwaite has been terrific at the back. You know, great young centre half. He's been linked with a lot of clubs in in the last, the last including us, years. including yourselves, yeah, including yourselves. 
Um, you know, he, he's, he's a young player who, who went abroad, went on loan last season to, to PSV, won the Dutch Cup there, played about 31, 32 games for them. Um, really, really developed, which is what you, you, want, you want young players to do. And so often they go on sort of meaningless loans in this country and it doesn't do anything for them. I think sometimes go out of your comfort zone and, and go abroad, go and play a different style of football. And obviously in, in, uh, in Dutch football, you get a bit more time, of course, but it's very much a case of playing playing football. So technically, he's very, very good. You know, he's left-footed, but you wouldn't know because he's good with both feet. He's great in the air. He's got brilliant recovery pace. He played left back against Fulham and didn't look out of place. You know, so it's he, he's been a real a real credit to to himself and and, and to to the side this season and and obviously on on Saturday you'll see what he's what he's all about and he's he's becoming a bit of a leader as well. You know, he's one of those those young players now who's learning off James Tarkovsky, of course, uh, but but somebody who's not shy in, in backing down and telling other players what he thinks of them. Um, so he's been he's been really good. Um, and and someone who, who we think you know is probably one of our biggest assets alongside Amadou Onana, who, who's just been terrific. You know, he's he came in last season um, for, for you know decent money, about 30, 30 million euros, and took a bit of time, um, lacked a bit of consistency. But when he when he was on it, he was on it. You know, he's a big six foot four, six foot five, like can carry the ball, good in the tackle. Um, he, he's very good technically. Got a, got a great eye for a pass. Scored a couple of goals this season as well. He's a big lad. He's a threat from set pieces. He will go on and do big things for somebody. Um, you know, another player who, who's going to be worth worth big money in the summer. Um, so they, they're the two really, you know, to watch at the weekend to see what they're all about. Um, and as I say, two players I fully expect, unfortunately, given our situation, so probably the next twelve months or so. Will be will be moved on because they're, they're going to be worth big money. Mike, another player that keeps being linked to Tottenham is Godfrey. Do you think that that could happen? And and there, there's been various reports out in the last 24, 48 hours stating that Everton are now trying to tie him down to a new contract because of the interest. It's a strange one, really strange one. That it came from nowhere. He hasn't really played. You know, we played against Burnley. That was his first. I think that was his first start of the season, most definitely. Um, for Everton, he played his best football under Carlo Ancelotti as a as a left back or a left wing back. Um, he then got um, got long COVID. He suffered really badly with COVID in 2020-2021. He was really, really, really un- under the weather with that, and, and he and he took him a long time to actually get back playing again. Then he broke his leg against Chelsea, the first game of the, of, of last season. Um, so, I, 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 yeah, I don't. That was a really real strange one because what he was all about, he was always it was always his pace. Uh, you know, we had good recovery pace. He was rapid, and I think since he had you know he suffered with COVID and, and broke his leg, he's lost half a yard of pace. Um, he was bought as you know as a centre half. He plays better in a three. So when he played against Burnley, he played really well. But he's, he's, he needs that. I think he needs those sorts of voices alongside him to sort of talk him through mm. the game. So I think if Tottenham came in with it with a with a bit of fifty to twenty million pounds, Evan would take it. I don't doubt it for a minute. Because I think that would that would be a decent deal for us. Um tying him down to a new contract, I don't, I don't I don't think so. Unless they want to tie him down just to get more money from a transfer. Uh, yeah. but he's not he's not a player who, who Sean Dice really sees his fit into his plans. But the problem we have is if we lose one of Brandt or, or Tark, uh, Tarkovsky, you've got then Michael Keane, who's 
inconsistent at best. You know, he's come in the last couple of games and done okay. And then you've got Godfrey as, as the other centre-half. So they're the only two behind our two main centre-halves. So if we lost them, we'd have to replace them with somebody is, only, is the only reason why I think we'd, we'd keep them there. But really strange link that. But obviously, Postacogli must see something in him that he, that he thinks would, would fit into your side. Mike, talk to me about Deli Alley. The way that you spoke about Richardson so highly, I think that a lot of us Spurs fans think the same of Deli Alley. Of course, we want it to work out for him. We want him to play uh, regular Premier League football and see that smile back on the face like we used to see at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What have you made of the whole situation uh, with Deli Alley? Obviously, yeah, you know, really difficult time for for the kid. Of course, you know, we we all saw the interview with, with Gary Neville um, yeah. when, when he opened up, which was which obviously was heartbreaking. Um, and I think I think from that moment on, I think everybody within the football community just wants him back playing football. He, he's had a really really tough time. You know, when he came in, that the hope was that Frank Lampard could get him get him playing football and get him getting him back to a particular level. There was that mutual respect there, and, and there was no one better to learn off for, for Delhi Ali than, than Frank Lampard, given what, what he did in his in his Premier League career. But um, he didn't he didn't play a great deal really under, under Frank Lampard. You know, we thought he'd get more game time. He came on in that that Crystal Palace game, obviously the one that that, that uh, kept us in the Premier League a hard time and changed the game. He, he was terrific, but then obviously goes on loan to Besiktas. There was a few issues over there, um, so we all wanted to come back. And you know, get back playing football. We know there's a there's a this clause where if he plays seven more times, then we've got to pay another ten million quid. We've been trying to negotiate that with Spurs. I heard about two days ago he's done for the season. I'm not sure how true that is, but I've heard he's broken down and saying again, um, which is not good news, of course. Um, so I think any negotiations to do with with Delhi going forward will probably go on hold. Um, if he is done for this season, that'll be him done for Everton. I think he's out of contract um, at the end of the season, so we won't see him in an Everton shirt again, if that's the case. And it's a real shame because Sean Dice is, is you know, giving him all the time in the world, made sure that we, we try and get him through as best we can and get him into a, a level of fitness physically and mentally as you know, so yeah. he's feeling good about himself. And he was he was getting there and we saw him back on the on the training with the first team, doing the warm-ups with them, and he was close. But it does appear again. That's only what I heard the other day, that that maybe he's had another little little breakdown, which could cost him, cost him any more game time. But you just want him back back playing football. You know, he's still in the young in the grand scheme of things. You know, again, probably not even peaked himself. And the, the ability that that he's got, you know, you you know, you, you saw him over many years. He was unbelievable. You know, him, him and Kane, were just incredible, yeah. and he was one of the first names on the England team sheet as well. You know, you, you, you wouldn't see an England side without without him in, and the drop off has been has been incredible. Sometimes players, when they 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 come in so young, you know, when they've got they've got a you know to get a big a big money move, which which obviously Daddy did. Um, sometimes they they can peak really really early. Obviously, with with what he's been through as well. Um, it's he's been through a hell of a lot physically and mentally. Um you, you just wonder whether he can ever get back to to those levels again. We we wish we wish obviously that, that he does do that. Whether it will be with us, I don't know. I hope the injury isn't isn't quite as bad as, as first feared. Um, and we do see him play some uh, at some point this season. If not, the important thing is that he does find the club that that will would allow him to to to, to get back to to a particular level and and him enjoying football again and doing what he did you know some of the goals that he scored for Spurs were just you know I was go back to the palace the palace one at, you know at yeah. Park 
what a player on his day. What a player. I think it's still there. I just think he needs a guy club. We we hope it's us. He may move on and go somewhere else, though. But hopefully, as I say, the important thing is he recovers physically and mentally and gets back to playing football. Yeah, very well said. Um, Mike, what would be a good season for Everton? Not going down <laughs> after after having ten points, having ten points taken off us. Um, as I say, I think we'll get some points back. I think before the season started, I was thinking in and around sort of anywhere between twelfth and sort of fifteenth, sixteenth would, would be acceptable, given obviously where we've been in the last couple of seasons. I think even with the ten point deduction, you know, we'd fall within that particular category if we get sort of half of them back or more. No reason why we can't finish sort of top ten because you know the, the sides, you know the likes of your, your Brentford, your Brightons, West Ham's Wolves, they're all very inconsistent. You know Brighton aren't at the same level as they were last last couple of seasons. Brentford are struggling without without Tony, uh, and obviously they got it. And Bermo's got got quite a lengthy injury, injury as well. Um, so a lot of sides are, are majorly inconsistent. I think you know as usual the same sorts of. Seven, eight sides, and I'll, I'll include Villa in that as well. You've done done terrifically well. They'll be the ones in the top eight. So anywhere from ninth down, which I think is up for grabs, and, and if we do get some points back, no reason why we can't be in the top half, which would be an incredible season for us. And, and for me, I think you know Sean Dyche should, should be getting manager of the season. If he gets us in the top half this season, then he, he, des- he deserves all all the prizes in the world for that because that would be that would be a fantastic season. But I think survival's the, the first aim. Um, anything above, above sort of eleventh would would be a, an unbelievable season for us, and and, and a season we, that's what we want. We want a season without any kind of of dramatics. Unfortunately, we've had plenty already. But if we can have a season where we're not looking over our shoulder, you know, we are looking up at the moment. We are seven points clear of the bottom three. Things can change. You know, we got yourselves, then we have got Man City on the twenty seventh. So things can change quite quickly. Um, but we just want a bit, a bit of a season where we can just relax. But we're going through the deduction. We're going through a potential takeover by by you know a gang of cowboys for want of a better phrase. Um, we've got the stadium coming up, um, which which is what we're what we're looking towards. Uh, but it's difficult when you've got so many uncertainties off the field. As I say, all we want to do is enjoy the football. As football fans want to do is watch football, enjoy the side playing football. Look forward to, to going to a new ground and 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 look look up not down and. As I say, Sean Dice is doing some really, really good things there, and we are starting to believe that maybe you know we can get into into mid-April and not be thinking, oh, "Hell, we've got to go to Arsenal last game of the season, and we need three points." It's going to be difficult. Hopefully, Sean Dice gets us over the line early, early this season, and that you know that'd be that'd be great for our, our mental health more than anything else. Mike, am I right in thinking the last trophy that Everton won was the FA Cup in '95? Is that right? Correct. Yeah, correct. So Spurs haven't won a trophy since 2008. What's your opinion on both of these clubs? Because let's face it, Spurs and Everton, two huge clubs in the English Premier League. You know, lack of trophies. Why do you think that is? Well, we all know why it is, don't we? Because the the money is at certain clubs, you know. Um, and but do, do, in in recent seasons under various different managers, would you say that you take the cup competitions as seriously as you sh- as you should do? Um, I think under certain managers, yes. I, th- I think there's there's definitely been there's definitely been occasions. Even under David Moyes, there was times where Moyes changed things quite dramatically. I mean, West Ham's te- West Ham fans will testify after last night at, at Anfield. You know what happened there in terms of what yeah. Moyes did. He sort of put more focus on the United game at the weekend 
than he did, which which fair when you got six thousand fans traveling midweek from London up to yep. up to Merseyside is unforgivable, really. So I think there's there's been seasons when we we haven't, I would say. Um, but I still think that you know when you look at the at, at Man City's record in recent years in the League Cup, for example, you know before that, you know it wasn't Man City were never really fighting for the League Cup. It was it was sort of spread out around various clubs. I just think that money has come in, and we've started to see the same clubs winning the trophies. Really, you know, we know, know that, you know yourself included. You know, we've seen the odd anomaly. Obviously, Leicester winning the Premier League, which the Premier League weren't too happy about, of course. Uh, you, you do see anomalies here and there. But I do, you know, money money's been a big factor. We wouldn't have thought in 1995 that at that particular point when we lifted the FA Cup, that would be the last trophy that we would see up until now. Yeah. We thought we were onto something good with Joe Royal coming. Obviously, Joe Royal came in, he kept us up, we won the FA Cup. You know, we we, we brought in some real quality under, under Joe Royal. And then the wheels fell off because obviously there was a fallout. And then from then on, it's been a bit of a downward, a downward uh, spiral bar. The, obviously, some some consistency and, and some stability under David Moyes and the odd season under Martinez. I just think sometimes when you get into a bit of a rut as well as a club, and we always say about a, a bit of a rotten culture, when you haven't got the mentality to win a trophy, I think that's always the hardest part. It's, it's to do it again. So when you go so long not winning one, then in the club, there's almost a bit of an atmosphere and a mentality of, you know, the... We just we just can't seem to do it, and, and players maybe just don't believe that at this club we can go and win a trophy because we've had we've had some really good sides, you know that that Martinez team, thirteen fourteen, the first season he came in, best side of, I've seen at Goodison Park in my time. You know I, I was born mid eighties, so I don't remember those those uh, years when we were successful. Mm. But the best side I've ever seen at Goodison in terms of entertainment, that thirteen fourteen season, Lukaku, Delafeu, Ross Barkley. You know, they, they, these were players that that could turn it, turn a game with one little sublime bit of skill. And then you, you had, you know, you had the defense. You had Leighton Baines in, in his pump with Seamus Coleman. You know, at the time, the two best fullbacks in the Premier League, in my opinion. And you know, we we had a, we've had chances to do things. We've never quite got there. But I do think money plays a huge factor. And this is this is what what is really frustrating. You, you want to get back to a time, and I think unfortunately now football's gone too far. We want to get back to a time when. You were seeing variety of clubs winning trophies, whether it be the league, League Cup, FA Cup, you know, UEFA Cup, as it was then, the, the, the European Cup. We had the Cup Winners Cup that obviously we won in 85. You you want that. You want that for football. But I just don't think now, because of how far it's gone to say, you see the Super League situation yet again on the uh, on, on the television this morning. You just think the football's in danger of eating itself, basically. Um, it, but it, it needs a massive reset of football, in my opinion. But may, maybe sides that are successful think it doesn't, but I think it does. Uh, but we we want success, and we took we took Tuesday seriously against Fulham, and, and, we, and we did. We played our strongest side that we could, just wasn't meant to be. Um, but hopefully, success isn't too far away, and hopefully, getting to that new stadium will help us, you know, build on something and and, and look forward. Yeah. Mike, uh, the referee for Saturday's game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is Stuart Atwell. The fourth official will be Tim Robinson and VAR Mike Oliver. Um, what have you made of VAR this season? Has, uh, has Everton been on the, the wrong side of VAR this year? That's a dream team right there, isn't it? Those three seasons, you know what I mean? As you, you could say anyone, couldn't you? You could say anyone in terms of that, the uh, the lineups of officials and you get you get the same response. They're all as bad as each other. 
Um, I'm trying to think with VAR that we had the, the the Man United penalty situation where it wasn't given and Martial was booked for diving at the time. And referee got told to to go and have a little look at the monitor, and then he overturned it. It was it was soft. It was massively massively soft. I'm not even sitting here saying he was he dived, but he initiated the contact and went down and was still given a penalty. And and the game the game changed on that. I think I think with us, you know, we you go back to the Merseyside derby, and you know, not not even not even so much the sort of VAR, but the, the refereeing performances where we had Ashley Young sent off for two bookings in the first half, and then Canate wasn't wasn't given a second booking when he, when Beto was breaking free and going to going to basically run from the halfway line with the ball gets taken out, nothing happens. We, we, we're seeing we're seeing so many. I think the biggest word is is inconsistencies, and yeah. if they were, if they were, the only the only consistent is that they consistently bad week in week out whether it be the officials whether it be VAR you know I mean the, the biggest one for the season is, was that obviously at your ground that that Liverpool Liverpool goal wasn't it yeah, um, yeah. That, that was the biggest one the biggest example that we had but there's been there's been so so many of them um this season because it's the fact that you, you have Sky Sports News having having ref watch on a Monday that tells you everything that you need to know you know VAR was brought in for clear and obvious errors it, it, it's as simple as that it's be it gets used for everything and little things which you know when when the offsides are getting you know brought brought back for you know half half a toenail and things like that that's not football you know we we would accept it a thing you know years ago before VAR was a thing we always accepted there was a element of human error and, and that was part of the game with VAR the reason why it gets so much flack is because they've got that many camera angles to look at they can slow things down as slow as they want. And even then, when they're looking at these things, they're getting things massively wrong. So that's why it's another spotlight, and that's why it's so poor. And until you can use it properly, don't use it. Just don't use it because they're not, they're not, they're trained. I mean, Mike Dean, you know, he, he, a poor example, you know, a celebrity referee. And he came out and said about the situation was it when you played against uh, Chelsea? And as a Cougar guy got, has got his hair pulled, and he, he didn't want to send Anthony's hair to the, to the monitor because he's his mate. And it's been a really tough game, you know. The, these people just aren't cut out for VAR because they have personal relationships with each other. So you've got to bring in, I think, an independent team, basically, to be solely VAR officials. That's all that they do. They don't necessarily at a weekend. They do VAR. They know the procedures. You know the process. And it should be as simple as that. But the execution from within the Premier League is really, really poor, isn't it? And and we spend so much time discussing it when really all we want to discuss is is what our side's doing, you know, and are we winning, are we losing, are we playing well, are we not? But games are getting ruined, aren't they, by, by officials. And it's it's a real shame, really, when it's the biggest league in the world and it's being destroyed by by the people who, who we shouldn't even notice, who, who, who matter the least, really, because if you don't if you don't um, recognise a referee or you don't pick up on his performance in a game, that's good because that says they've done nothing wrong and they've let the game flow. But it's a, it's a little bit of a I think someone's put there you know look after look after each other of course they do the 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 team officials and they're very much in the same team but yeah it's it's a it's a little bit embarrassing really I think VAR at the moment as is the level of officiating and you know the 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 referees are all without generalising they're all pretty poor in my opinion. It's such a huge talking point as you say, Mike. But if uh, if all twenty managers had a vote to say keep VAR or get rid of it. What do you think that outcome would be? I don't. I think I think most of them are sort of uh, 
are quite open with VAR and saying they think it should it, it belongs in the game, but I think the execution is incorrect. Um, mm. I, I think a lot of them would be quite happy to go back to how it used to be. I know, I don't yeah. know as fans, the Carabao Cup had no VAR and it was great. You know, Beto scored his equaliser. You know, it was a hint of offside. I don't think it was, but it was tight. And you weren't sitting there waiting. Because, you, you, you know, you know we, we had it against um, against Chelsea, the Corey's goal, when it was... He, Calvert-Lewin got played through originally. Keeper saved it, goes to the Corey. He puts the ball on the back of the net. You celebrate and you think, hang on. And then you then you see, oh, yeah, checking for offside. Yeah. It, it, it just it spoils the whole game, doesn't it? Because it, it takes away from... In the back of your mind, and the players are the same. When Beto scored against Newcastle, and he went through again, borderline offside. That was his first goal for the club at Goodison Park. You know, he's become a little bit of a cult hero himself. Um, and even he was a bit reserved in his celebration. And players and, and fans don't deserve that. If, if you know, if you put your flag up straight away for offside, fine. But the told to keep the flag down, let the, let the play go. And then we'll pull it back and look at it on the on the screens in a, in a minute. It ruins the game, and you know that's that's the biggest the biggest thing for me. And that's where I think when you impact an emotion, and football's all about emotion, whether it's players, fans, or, or managers, or, or what have you. When you impact in that, it's not a good thing, is it? And I think a lot of the managers would probably say the same. That you know, I mean, Sean Dyche said Liverpool got a penalty in the Merseyside derby. It was a blatant handball by Michael Keane, no question. No one's no one's saying it wasn't. It took them three minutes to decide. But it was yeah. obvious. It was obviously a handball. Even Michael Keane knew that it was a handball. So he said, "Just why are we going to the screen? You know, getting sense of a screen and taking three minutes. We can just go. That's a penalty. Yeah, Here we go. Off we go. So I think I think it's it is all in the execution. But I think a lot, a lot of managers would say they're fine with it, but take it away until you get it right. Is probably the message that, that I would think will, will come out of any kind of those. Yeah, I think there's a lot of decisions where where they're actually thinking, should we get involved? Shouldn't we get involved? And I think they get involved in too many things. Uh, you know, when you think about what it was actually brought in for in the first place, they're now getting involved in too many things. But um, of course, Mike, you don't want Liverpool to win the Premier League title. We don't want Arsenal to win the Premier League title. Manchester City are going through a bit of a blip at the moment. I can't see that continuing, though, under Pep. Who do you think will win the Premier League? I still think City are favourites, aren't they? You know, City tend to do it most seasons where they go on a little bit of a of a, a poor run and they drop points. Um, they've probably been worse than I've remembered, though, in, in recent mm. weeks, to be honest with you. They, they've really struggled. Um, I think De Bruyne has been a huge miss for them. And, and when, when Rodney was suspended, another big miss for them. I don't think going to, obviously, the, this World Club Championship, which they're in, is going to help them either. Uh, obviously, we're, we're their first game back, so hopefully there's some kind of hangover there. Um, but I still think, you know, the quality that they've got, that the squad's massive, they've got quality throughout. I think that they, they are just too strong. I think that the nearest challenges will probably be Liverpool, to be fair. I think Liverpool, you know, as much as Klopp moans all the time, you know, he's got a squad full of quality and he's still take exception in the fact that he can't compete with Man City and you just sit there and think, you know, the money that they spent in the summer, Liverpool, they do it every single year. Um, so they should be competing. So I think Liverpool will be will be up there with them. The, the top four, I think Arsenal will definitely get top four. I'd tip, I tip yourselves for fourth, to be honest with you. Um, Newcastle, I said it, I called it. I said they'd struggle this season. Europe killed them off, which it has done. They're struggling yeah. with injuries, of course. Um, so I thought they'd be poor. Villa, they were great. You know, yeah. nice to see. Nice to see. You know, and and they they made a change. They they sacked Steven Gerrard about November last season. They were they were by us last season. 
sacked Jagger, brought in a capable manager in Unai Emery, and he's been fantastic. You know, I think they've won over 80 points in this calendar year, which is just unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. amazing. So great to see them up there, but I think they'll tail off at some point. I do think Tottenham nicked that, uh, that fourth spot, but City most definitely have got to be favourites, even, even at this particular point when they're going through a little bit of a rough patch. Mike, final question. Um, predicted lineup and score prediction. Um, I'll go with Spurs if you don't mind first. Yeah, I'm going to go for Vicario in goal, uh, Pedro Poro, Romero, Davis, Emerson, Hoybier, Saar, Kulusevski, Son, Richarlison, and Johnson. Because as you mentioned earlier on in the stream, uh, Basuma and Udogi are both suspended. Um, I expect Hoybier to come in for Basuma and Emerson to come in for Udogi. And uh, Lacelso is expected to miss the game. Um, also, Ashley Phillips is back in training, but of course, he's yet to make his first team debut. Although Ange Postacoglu says that he is a first team player. Um, so this game will probably come a little bit um, too soon for him. I'm going to go for a 2 1 Spurs win. You're probably not surprised by that. Um, but your predicted lineup and your score prediction. Uh, the Pickford in goal obviously picks himself. If Michalenko's fit, uh, the, it'll be a back four, I think, with Michalenko, Brantwaite, Tarkovsky, and Patterson. I'm going to do Onani in the holding midfield role. Um, because of the Corey's absence, we'll have to go with. So, Bigana Gay will be in front of Onani with James Garner as the 10. Uh, left wing will be Dwight McNeil, right wing will be Jack Harrison, and then Dominic Calvert Lewin up front. But I think Beto is close to getting a start. Um, obviously, in, in better goal-scoring form than Dom. He hasn't scored since West Ham, Calvert-Lewin. Uh, don't me wrong, his performances have been good. By the Fulham game, when he was a little bit off it, his performances have been terrific. Uh, we know what he's all about. But I think he'll, he'll still get the nod. Uh, Sean Dice is, is, is a creature of habit. Um, and we, you know, we he likes what he likes, Sean Dyson, when it comes to personnel. You know, if we had all our players fit, you could pick Everton's side, no problem at all. Um, but I do think that'll be our start at 11. I'm hopeful that we can get something from the game. I think we'll score because uh, we are a threat from, say, set pieces especially. I'm going to I'm gonna say 2-all, uh, an exciting 2-all draw. But, you know, we're, we're certainly not favourites for the game despite the form that we're in. Any, any result would not surprise me. Um, but I'm going to go 2-all. You might be surprised, Mike, that um, Pat Nevin, who we've got a short preview that I'll play in a minute, uh, he's also gone for a 2 2 draw. Um, but <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your time this evening. You've been an absolutely fantastic guest and a great insight to Everton Football Club. So all of the very best uh, until the end of the season, but of course not on Saturday or February when we play you at Goodison Park. But um, before you do go, tell everyone where they can find your wonderful podcast and, and what people can expect. Yeah, so I mean, mainly on on Twitter or X, as obviously it's now called at UHT Podcast, uh, Instagram, and Threads. I think Threads are still a thing, although it's uh, it's 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 slowly dying to death. I think uh, at UHT Podcast Everton. Obviously, the podcast is across all, all the major platforms. There, obviously, Apple and, and Spotify, uh, Google, and things like that. We don't particularly. We have got a YouTube channel, which we don't really delve into. We may do as we go we go forward, and it's it's normally a once a week podcast. Um, after the, the weekend's games, uh, a range of guests on there. You know, we've had a few um, sport and event fans like Jake Bulk, the cricketer, has been on recently. Um, Trey Townsend, when Andros was playing for the club, he was on as well. So much of the work that he does, and obviously Andros' time at the club. So a range of guests, just normal Evertonians as well, come on the show every week. Um, so just discussing the game, the major talking points, the major talking points out of the club as well, um, and, and obviously looking forward to, to future fixtures as well. 
Well, Mike, thank you so much. And hopefully we can get you back on in a couple of months time to talk about the return fixture. Um, enjoy the game and enjoy your Christmas. Thank you so much. And you have a, have a lovely Christmas and uh, best of luck on, on Saturday. Hopefully, hopefully it's a, it's a decent game and, and Everton come out on top. Cheers, Mike. Thank you. Uh, now we will go to the match preview from Pat Nevin, who, of course, played for Everton Football Club between 1988 and 1992. And as you will find out, he is a big fan of Ange Postacoglu. Hi there, Chris uh, and everyone at the Spurs Chat Podcast. It's me, Pat Nevin here. Um, yes, formerly of Chelsea and Everton. Um, but I'm thinking about the Everton game coming up um, against Tottenham. Uh, and it's going to be a very intriguing game. Two very different styles coming together. Um, I've been down to Spurs a couple of times this season. Um, I was at uh, the game recently against Newcastle United. And I thought it was absolutely incredible. Spurs back to being the new Spurs, which uh, Ange Postecoglou, which every Spurs fan knows, has been absolutely phenomenal. It's been brilliant to watch, doesn't matter who you support, they have been fantastic to watch. And of course, the stadium itself, with the noise and the Tottenham fans behind, it's, it's actually incredible. I go around and watch a lot of matches um, for my job with Radio 5 Live and you, know, you see some special atmospheres, but the atmosphere at Tottenham just now is unbelievable and it's helping. It's really helping the team. Yeah, it's a symbiotic thing. It's coming from the Spurs fans, but it's coming from the team. It's coming from the manager. It's all working together. Yeah, there was a little blip, particularly after the Chelsea game, but I think everybody knows what that was mostly about. That was the sending-offs and the difficulty of that. Um, but now most of the team's uh, back and uh, playing together. It looks just back to normal again. The, the Ange thing's so exciting. Um, watched them always time up at Celtic and... Uh, uh, when Tottenham got uh, Ange Postecoglou as a manager, a lot of people weren't sure about it, and I was telling everyone I could listen, who would listen to me, especially friends that are Spurs fans, you're going to love this. <laughs> it's not always going to work perfectly, but boy, you're going to love it because it's great fun watching Ange's team. Um, so yeah, loving watching Spurs at the moment, um, and I'm a huge fan of Ange Postecoglou and have been for a long, long time. Actually, before the time he actually got to Chelsea, I've been uh, Celtic, so because I'd actually watched him. It's career a little bit before that. I'd worked in BBC World Service and I'd been told a bit about him. So um, I suspect he's only going to get better and better with Ange. Um, so, big game. Uh, everyone is a big game, but it's Everton this time. Now, Everton, we all know, very different style. Um, you know, they're kind of hard team to play against. Uh, but at the moment, they are on a stunning run. Uh, I was recently uh, a, a Goodison um, for a number of games and the, the passion showed by the players at the moment is incredible. Usually in these games, there's lots of things to consider. Um, but at the moment, the run that uh, Everton are on, I mean, 19 points, I think it is, out of the last 24. That's a team that's supposed to be struggling. No, they're not. They're phenomenal at the moment. Uh, that run gets you easy European place and maybe even pushing in the top four. Had they done that from the start of the season? Um, and obviously, the slight consideration of the 10 points, which of course has actually brought their club together in a way that they weren't together beforehand, which is extraordinary to see them do that. So I'm very, very happy for Sean Dyche. Very different type of manager, very different type of team, but certainly a team that um, has got the passion that you want to see if you're an Evertonian. Um, so I'm enjoying what I'm seeing there. In the last four games that Everton have played, one all four, no goals conceded. That tells you something about Everton. They will fight and they will chase and they know how to defend and they know how to work as a group. Um, and because they've got most of their big players back, and if you look at their midfield, Garner um, and Anna sometimes in there as well, 
but certainly De Curie above everyone else. De Curie has been off the scale uh, this season. Very much a player that you watch him one week usually, and he's world class. And you watch him the next week, and you think, "Is are you actually on the pitch, mate?" Um, not this season. Sean Dyche is getting the very best out of him. You stick Dominic Calvert-Lewin on top of that, the way that he's been playing. You um, mean certainly a player that you, you, you thought would get injured all the time. Uh, but Sean's got much more out of him. So, I mean, a whole group that's working together incredibly well. So this is, as I say, two very, very different styles. Spurs are much more open style. Um, the last game, the first game I've seen Spurs this season was uh, against Manchester United. And... Um, I think most Perth fans... In fact, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, while I was watching that game, uh, I was so moved by it that this year, at the end of the season, at the end of the year, I was asked by the BBC to put my favourite changing moment of the season uh, in the entire Premier League, and not the season, of the year, of the calendar year, and it was that game. It was that game for me, because that was a game you thought, oh my God, you know, we put Basuma and Saar in there together, and they just wiped the floor with Manchester United. Uh, and they were good players, not Manchester United midfield, but they absolutely trashed them. Uh, but it was more than that. Not just what was happening on the pitch, I looked around me and the reaction of the Spurs fans of, whoa, what have we got here? So twice I've been down, it's been fantastic. But this is another different type of challenge. It'll be a cracker of a game to be at. It's going to be, I would imagine, um, you'd expect Spurs to score goals. Everton maybe don't score a lot of goals, they don't lose goals. So it's, it's a really, really tough one uh, to predict. Um, I think it will be quite tight. I actually wouldn't be surprised at something like a 3-2 or a 2-2. Uh, obviously Spurs are favourite for this because it's a home game, but it's going to be very tight. But as ever with Spurs, I expect uh, there to be goals. So between the 3-2 and the 2-2, well, I could go with my head or my heart. I'm going to go with my heart. I'll go for a 2-2. <laughs> no surprises there. <laughs> Good luck, anyone, uh, to everyone uh, at Spurs Chat Podcast. And uh, I hope the season continues fantastically well because um, teams that play the way Ange Postacoglu's teams play, um, they are worth watching. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you love football, you love watching Ange's teams. Good luck. So thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Mike for coming on to give his insight on Everton Football Club. And of course, many thanks to Pat Nevin as well. We will be back with another edition of the Spurs Chat podcast on Saturday, straight after the Spurs v Everton game, when hopefully Spurs have picked up another three points in the Premier League. I'll see you on the next one. Until then, come on, you Spurs. TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 
24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.